Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. We are presented by Mile High Sports on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, as well as Denver Stiffs. I'm the site manager over there. And I wanted to bring on a fellow stiff, somebody that could help me break down this Nuggets team post-regular season, pre-post-season, as, as fun as that is to say. Uh, one of my great friends, Gordon Gross at G Money Nugs on Twitter. Gordon, thank you so much for hopping on with me, man. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Good to be here. Every time you call me for a podcast, I will sign up. That's not a problem. I'm very boring now. I don't have anything to do. So if you, uh, if you need me, you just, you just phone me in. I hear you're having some voice trouble tonight, so don't worry about it. Everyone gets to listen to me all the time. They can't help it. It'll be great. Yeah, if you guys can't hear it, I'm, I'm A, either a little sick or B, just like I'm getting a sore throat or something like that. I've been, I've been podcasting and speaking and monologuing a lot over the course of these past few weeks. And I think, I think my body is sort of rejecting that whole premise and telling me, Hey, Ryan, please stop. You need a break. Uh, But we have to press on because there are things to talk about. There are things to cover about this team. And I wanted to cover a couple of different topics with you, including the, the golden state warriors and the playoff series that is impending, but we've got a couple days until that really takes place. What I want to talk to you about first was Nikola Jokic and Bones Highland. And I will start with Nikola Jokic here. I don't know if you've been tracking some of the votes that have been coming in. There is a great uh, Twitter account that has put out a Google sheet called Crossfire. Uh, I believe his, his at is, and he does a great job of compiling potential voter ballots and voters in general and seeing what they're voting for and then totaling those up. And and what he says, what he's putting out there, what everybody seems to be looking at is that Nikola Jokic is potentially running away with the MVP award. And it's really cool to see, frankly, as, as somebody who I, I had no idea how he was going to repeat and whether he would be capable of doing this, but <clears throat> it, right. it does sort of seem here we are. I'm, I'm absolutely impressed that the, the silent Jokic majority who, uh, who just vote for him and, and don't talk about it makes me happy because Jokic doesn't talk about it either. Like he does not campaign for this award. It's not something that matters to him necessarily. I mean, he'd like it. Like, I'm sure it's nice. Um, but <laughs> nice it, little decoration on the wall. <laughs> I mean, it's the man has bigger goals, and I appreciate that. Um, but this is this is not something that uh, players necessarily need for themselves. It's something that their fans need for them, the people who care about their legacy need for them. Like, being a back-to-back MVP matters. Like, in a legacy conversation, it matters. Um and I, if it winds up happening for Jokic, I'm thrilled for him. If it winds up happening for Giannis and he's been getting three and four years or whatever, 
even more impressive. Good job, Giannis. If it if it goes to Embiid, um, good job, Embiid's agent. I guess. I mean, for him, it, it's yeah. I, I seriously though, like it's it's a great thing that there are this many tremendous big men in the league who are all worthy of MVP. That's great. I still think Jokic is going to get it. I think he deserves it. And I think it's wonderful that people recognize that he deserves it. Like that's that I I agree with you. I was not sure that was going to happen. I was not positive that um, after giving it to him for one year, if people would say that's enough, we did enough. I'm not giving it to that guy again, but much like the opposing broadcast teams around the league, everyone seems to have noticed that the guy's just unbelievable. Jokic is unbelievable with his specific um, special set of skills, I guess. Um, he's, uh, he's got that Liam Neeson effect. That is that is for sure. Um, do you remember who won Defensive Player of the Year and All-NBA First Team Center nine years ago? It was a 2012-2013. 2012? No, nah, hit me. Marcus Saul. Okay. Yeah. Marcus yeah, Saul yeah. was the, the preeminent center of the early 2010s. The player who I think defined the era as much as anybody else. Uh, there, there are some other candidates. I think Dwight Howard would be a candidate. DeAndre Jordan would be a candidate during that time. But for much of the year, for much of those years, it was just this kind of bland option at center. Not, not a lot of creativity in general. Like Marcus Gasol was the most creative option that there was yep. out there. And now that you have Jokic and Embiid and Giannis to a degree, though he's he's more of a power forward, I guess. Uh, all of these bigs, all of these guys that do their work in completely different ways, I think it has captivated people in a great way. It's elevated the game. It's yep. changed the game in a healthy way. And like instead of going into the, the small ball that is really kind of kind of taken the league by storm, one of the reasons for small ball was because all of the centers looked like DeAndre Jordan or Marcus Gasol or yes. Dwight Howard or, or guys like that. Now you've got just better and more talented people in general that are absolutely elevating the position and changing the league for the better, in my opinion. And that should be what this is about. And yet the discourse is just so damn bad, Gordon. Oh, it's, it is terrible. And it sucks because um, Adam Mares and I used to talk about this uh, years ago about when, when Jokic first came in, it was Adam's stated opinion um, that uh, the next phase of the NBA rather than small ball was going to be bigs who could do all that same shit that all the small guys were doing there. So instead of, it was, it was skill ball, right? Yeah. Yeah. Instead of, instead of it being positioned with six foot seven guys playing skill ball, it was going to be what happens when seven footers can drain threes, grab all the rebounds and lead the league in assists. And Jokic is, you know, one of those prototypes of, making sure that you can't ever go just with small ball. You're going to attack Jokic with six foot seven dudes. I wish you the best of luck. And I really think that that's, it's, it's put a, not a kibosh, but it's definitely slowed um, a lot of positionless ball because you can't do that against Giannis. You can't do that against seven foot two Embiid or however that big, that giant guy is like there are just massive human beings who now all of a sudden have skill, have power, have grace. Um, they can pass, um, you know, like point guards. 
it's it's tremendous and it makes it so that um, the league as a whole benefits. But I don't know why fans have to shit on other people all the time. It's amazing to me that you can't appreciate what Jokic does and Giannis does and Embiid does. I mean, I don't necessarily appreciate the flopping from Embiid, but every other part of his game is outrageously good. Like, outrageously good. And it's it's stunning to me that, that people want to denigrate them in order to make their own guy win some award that their player might not even care about. Like, it's, it's really baffling. And I, again, I come back to that legacy thing where fans really, really care about immediate legacy. Um, while you're, I'm sure that every player would tell you, give me the championship. You want the MVP? I want to hold a title over my head, man. Like that's the goal. Um, and so these other things are great for legacy. Like, you know, it helped Giannis tremendously to be a defensive player of the year, to be, um, you know, MVP. Uh, and then he got, you know, his new ring of the three awards. I'm pretty sure he'll take the ring. Like, that's, yeah. That means everything. Yeah. It means everything. And that's the award is from people trying to make that happen. You win the award trying to get your team a title. Um, and so all these guys are trying to do that. And I, I appreciate the effort from all of them. I was going to ask you about the legacy aspect of this, because there are very few players that have won the award back to back. There are very few players that have won two MVPs in general. And yep. it, it just is a it's a much more narrow list than some of the one-off MVPs that we've had in, in NBA history. And so you've Absolutely. got the Steve Nash's of the world, who I think everybody denigrates because despite the fact that he really defined an era of like basketball. He was Steph was, before Steph. He changed basketball. Yeah. Like, isn't, isn't that great? Like, isn't that something that people should celebrate rather than denigrate? Yep. I, I just, I don't understand. Like if Jokic ended up like a Steve Nash career, I don't think anybody would be super upset. I think everybody thinks that he could be a Dirk Nowitzki or a Hakeem Olajuwon or, or somewhere in that general vicinity of historic foreign big man that won a title eventually. But I don't know. It's, it's just one of those things that it's hard to talk about right now in this state of purgatory, because we, we would just like Nuggets fans more than anybody would love to see. Like, I think Nuggets fans would trade the MVP for a chance at a healthy Murray and Porter season in these playoffs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it's, that's, that's your whole thing, right? Like the, that, the, I mean, especially Jokic, who's like, yes, it's nice. I would love the award. It's terrific. However, what I want is a title and we're working towards that. Um, but I mean, it's being a, being a two-time MVP makes you far more iconic than being a one-off, you know, I, but if you look back, uh, Dirk won it once, right? Dirk was a one-time MVP, right. one-time Just a one-time winner. But it was a big time. Actually, it kind of was corrupted a little bit because of the first round exit that he had at the at the hands yep. of the one eight Warriors. Yep. And then um, uh, Tim Duncan, um, you know, he had two, I believe. Yeah, I think it was one oh two and oh two oh three. But he also followed up that oh two oh three with a title. And was, was just the, the one of the most dominant players and one of the most dominant playoff runs we've ever seen from a guy. And that's and and that's the kind of thing that Jokic is looking for, like an MVP on the way to a ring. And it sucks that that Murray's not here, and it sucks that MPJ is not here, because 
I would love to see him be able to take them and, and do all of this with them and have a real shot at a ring. Do I think he can still win it? I mean, I, they're going to be outmatched for every playoff series that they play in these playoffs. Their, their supporting cast is going to have to step up two levels above what they've been to get this done. Could they do it? Sure, it's a short season, man. Of course they can do it. The question is, will they do it? Like, I mean, that was that Dirk Nowitzki won his ring when Jason Terry went freaking berserk, you know, and that was that. Like, sometimes you need guys to step up around you. You need a guy to get hot. I think everybody, like everybody would argue that if, if he was able to do this, and if he was able to kind of lead Denver to a conference finals, let's say, just no. a conference finals in this particular circumstance where you lead a, a winning series over the Warriors who are like this perimeter oriented shooting centric team. And, and he just bulldozed through them. And then he outmatched Steven Adams, Jaron Jackson, John Morant on the way to a conference finals appearance. That is unbelievable in my opinion, yeah. just based off of what he has to do, because I don't think the Nuggets are going to be fa- like, they're clearly not favored in this one. They're, they're I don't think they would be favored. Every round. Yeah. yeah round. They, they will be no underdogs. Way. Yeah. So like, this is, this is just one of those things that Jokic absolutely has one thing left to prove it's, can he navigate the playoffs and take a team deep and ultimately get it done? And, and once he gets that done, then I don't think anybody's going to have any room to continue to criticize him there's no way that the nick rights of the world will have any leg to stand on if he gets a title because he'll be a two-time mvp winner and a title winner and likely yeah, a finals title MVP that matters that, I mean, exactly. people, people used to talk about dirk as being soft until dirk uh, and jason terry but dirk went into the playoffs and just owned like you know he was not supposed to win that title <clears throat> that was not Dirk's year, but Dirk didn't care that it wasn't Dirk's year um, and got his ring. And that ring changed everything for Nowitzki. It everything um, about his legacy, which sucks because he was a first ballot Hall of Famer before that. He was the greatest European player of all time before that. Like, you know, Dirk was Dirk. He's a one name superstar. Um, but that ring does matter. And so, yeah, Jokic for a perfect legacy will need a ring. Now the problem is no one in Denver has ever got one of those. Like that's never happened. We don't yeah. have a, a, a history of that. So, but we never had Jokic. Um, and he's never been out in the first round. Like Jokic has been in the second round for, or, or past forever. Like, and I, so I'm not betting against him getting it done here either, but it's going to be a tall task to get past Golden State, let alone any deeper. Uh, and it would be more helpful if he had help. But Jokic has just turned 27. Like this is not a this is not a legacy or bust. He's 33 years old. This might be his last real run at it. Like he's got some time, but the Nuggets have to organize themselves and their roster to make sure that you do not waste these Jokic years. You're about to supermax him, I assume. Like I cannot imagine they're not going to supermax Jokic. Yeah, so, if they don't, I'll, I'll swear off the team if they don't. Yeah, yeah. No, if they don't supermax them, like, that's it, man. I'm burning down the, the ball <laughs> arena. We'll recycle the whole thing. Because, yeah, I, it's it's unbelievable what he's done for this town um, and this team and its fans. And you're going to get some more chances with him. It's amazing. 
you're going to get more chances with him. And now you just got to pull it off on one of those times. We're going to see whether they can do it. I'm, I mean, look, I, I don't think it's going to happen this year because you don't have peak Jamal Murray. You don't have peak Michael Porter Jr. Uh-huh. If you get the opportunity to get those guys like next year or the year after or whatever, then, then all bets are off and maybe Denver can just score their way to a title. I still think they need perimeter defense, and I still think that yep. that's going to be something that we're going to talk about next segments when we talk about Bones Island. And I think there's there's just a lot of things left to cover on this Nuggets team, but hopefully from a more positive lens. So let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss Bones Highland and the NBA draft real quick. We'll be right back. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you could, it'd be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Five stars, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Do the do the normal thing. I saw a nice review come in from Jared. He was very kind. He was very complimentary of me. And I love that positive affirmation. So if you if you're always I'm always willing to accept the positive affirmation, people. So if you're if you're feeling generous, then then just let me know. And if you're not feeling generous, that's okay too. All right, Gordon, thank you so much for hopping on with me. Let's talk about Bones Highland. And and one of the things that I wanted to discuss with you specifically is we're talking about how difficult this year was prior to this podcast. And we're talking about, hey, we've had Jokic. And then it's just been the the minutes where Jokic was on the court were joyful and he was awesome and the team was very good. And then the minutes where he was not on the court were really, really bad for a really long time up until Bones Highland took over. And he's just been a joy. I've really been impressed with him. What have you seen from him this year that you've really liked? Well, I, I just love his competitiveness. I Bones, I feel the reason that I was really happy, uh, I don't want to bring up he who should not be named on your podcast, but um, my, my concern with Bones being off ball was always that he was too um, passive that he was too catch and shoot, that he wasn't pushing, that he wasn't attacking on for rebounds. He wasn't running for um, driving the ball up the court. Like it, it was too much passivity from a guy who's a thousand percent aggression. Um, and so uh, when he got the chance to have the ball in his hands, when they made him the backup point guard um, and they said, go, like you're going to make some mistakes, but go he immediately started crashing the boards. He started making his three pointers. Like he wasn't waiting for the game to come to him. Now, part of that is probably because as a rookie, that's about the time the game started to slow down. So it's entirely possible. It would have been a disaster to make him um, carry more of a, a creator load as the ball don- ball on point guard um, to start the year. Um, that may have been just what he needed to ease into that, but putting him into that role has unlocked him. And it's made him just an absolute joy on this team. And and, and for a large part of the season, probably the second best player on the team, which is unbelievable. When you, when you talk about a a rookie drafted late in the first round, who, uh, you know, again, was not in a position. He was, you know, ninth, 10th guy in the roster. And now he's number two. 
It's honestly insane. Like, like there are, well, I mean, well, here's the thing. I trust him above all others to create a good shot other than Nicole Jokic. Yeah. Uh, I trust him more than Monte Morris. I trust him more than Aaron Gordon. I trust him more than Will Barton. And that's insane to me that we're already at that point. The fact that he's doing this as a rookie is absurd. The jump that he has taken in season, not just from a, a comfort standpoint, but from a, a decision-making standpoint and aggressiveness standpoint, just like you were talking about, it's incredible. It's very rare to see a player evolve that much in a in the span of a year and half a year yeah yeah exactly like this dude is just doing some incredible things and is he does he have flaws of course is he a bad defender at times absolutely could he probably stand to tone down the aggressiveness at times when he needs to be more of a playmaking point guard sure but Denver has needed that aggressiveness. They've needed that spark. And you live with the bad if you get as much good as they've gotten from him over the course of the last 45 games of the season. Well, and and for him, he's learning from his elders, right? Like Malone's always in his ear. He's taking all the counsel he can take. Even when it drives Malone crazy sometimes, Malone still trusts him because Bones listens. And he's essentially trying to meld two different games into his game. Barton's game and Morris's game and Bones is trying to be a little bit of each of those guys and how you know ratcheting down the aggression you know because uh much like Barton he can sometimes be overly aggressive and tunnel and get tunnel vision and not particularly pay attention to what's going on around him may take crazy shots from 35 feet away um but Bones makes those shots like that's that's the thing is that when he pulls the trigger He's not pulling it because he doesn't know what to do. He's pulling it because, you know, I could probably make this. And that actually helps Denver a lot with, again, maintaining that aggressiveness, not taking your foot off the gas, continuing to attack because they get passive. The, the Nuggets um, get into a pass happy, um, you know, don't attack, take bad shots, um, late into the shot clock because they just didn't work for a good shot. They get that way sometimes. It's just a bad habit. Um, and Bones shakes him out of that habit. And I love that because he doesn't care that it's a bad shot. He cares that it's open. It's an open shot. I'm not shooting this contested weight in the clock. I'm shooting it now. It's open now. And he makes them. And, and he wasn't in the first half of the year. But when he got into control and he knew when to pull the trigger, he's been phenomenal. Um, and so it's I love that he's learning – from Monte Morris, how to run an offense, you know, how to get your guys involved, how to run a pick and roll with your big, you know, at the NBA level, because Bones is finishing inside has gotten much better too. And a lot of that comes from learning from Monte Morris, who also right. is a six foot two guard. Now Monte is not built like uh, Bones with those giant condor arms, you know, <laughs> but Monte is a short guy going in among the trees like Bones is, and you've got to be crafty. And, and Bones has stopped getting blocked at the rim and getting chewed up going inside. He started getting craftier about what he's doing. And it's paid off. Like learning these steps, learning from guys who are long-term pros and being able to be this much of a sponge was really unexpected for me early in his career. Uh, and I love seeing it, man. It, it, it bodes so well for him going forward. Do you remember the conversation that we were having about him uh, around the draft time when he was first selected, the players that we were comparing him to, 
I think the three that were the most common were Jordan Clarkson, Lou Williams, and Jamal Crawford in that general yep. mix of sixth men, guys who are scorers <clears throat> off the off the bench and, and definitely kind of the the gunners, if you will. And there is some truth to that when, when you talk about Bones and you think about that, but I can't quite shake the feeling that he's not quite that. Like there, there's there's some other layer to his game where it's more of a modern era, uh, also giving a little bit of the, the passer vibes where he's much more willing to make the extra pass and much more willing to share the ball as a point guard than I think a lot of those other guys were. Uh, do you do you feel the same way, or is the is the scoring uh, gunner type still the more accurate description of him? I think what amazes me about him is his complete willingness to to make plays for others, to leave people the glory on the fast break, or to make the look away whip pass into the paint because he's having fun out there and he wants to move it to guys. And maybe that's learning from Jokic. You know what I mean? Like maybe that's, that's a, I'm picking up on the greatest player that I'll ever play with, you know, like if that's what he does, then that's what I should do. Sure. Um, <laughs> you know, again, being a sponge, but it's, it's so um, beautiful to watch his game grow. Honestly. Um, now Jamal Crawford early in his career used to have like four or five assists a game. Like Jamal was not just a, a gunner, but he did become one. Like he gave up passing and it was weird. I don't think bones will do that. And if you can have a guy who's going to put up 16 or 18 points and get you five or six assists, like, Holy crap. Like that guy is crazy. Good. Like that's crazy. Good. Um, and your only real reason that bones wouldn't necessarily be able to be a starter is because he's not real big for a two guard and you've already got Jamal Murray at the one. Um, but really for the, for the nuggets, that's why he may wind up as a bench point guard or a like a late game offensive firepower situation where you just put guys on the court who can kill and you just let them go slay. You know, there's no way to guard anybody because the Nuggets have too many weapons. That'd be great. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But I, I think he enjoys being a good caretaker of the offense um, as long as he can still call his own shot. And he does. And he does it well. Like he's done it well this year. The, the balance. He's found it. Jordan Poole is also, I think, a pretty good comp for him from the other side for Golden State, where he can run some point guard for sure, but he's probably at his best where he's hunting for the shots. He's making sure to to put on a show, at least in a little bit of that. Um, there, there are some different ways that I think Bones' career can go. And I think you, you definitely hit on that, that he might be more of a traditional guy that can handle that heavy load and maybe become more of a star type if he's willing to make those passes and get other people involved while also then staying on the court for 30, 35 minutes a night and, and being willing to shoot up beyond that. Right. But like there, there's definitely a part of me that thinks, okay, is his body going to hold up? Is he going to be able to handle that burden? And is he going to want to do that? Or like, is the better thing for him to kind of fall into that Lou Williams, Jordan Clarkson, Jamal Crawford role where he's more efficient and maybe better than those guys added at various points. But those guys were also very good at it, won multiple awards doing it. And like being a six man of the year isn't a bad thing, that's for sure. Right. And it's uh, uh, the thing is, is uh, Bones is not going to complain about his role. 
like that, that's not really as far. I mean, it's only his first year and, and he's still got the wide eyed innocence of, uh, you know, stomping around the league for the first time, but he doesn't seem like a guy who's pretty, who's been out of shape about having to come off the bench. He doesn't seem right. like a guy who's like, man, I got to create for these people. He enjoys the challenge. And that's, that's my thing for bones is he will rise to any challenge that you put in front of him. So I'm not worried about them presenting him with the challenge of organizing the bench or the challenge of being a three point killer or the challenge of learning how to play better defense. Like that's, those are things that, that he'll be able to put his work into. Um, he, he's a grinder like that. He was a hooper. He said so from day one, that's, that's his gift. Uh, and I, I enjoy the fact that the nuggets should have him uh for many seasons to come applying that gift for them because yeah he's a he's a real player man you mentioned him as a hooper and we've had these discussions before where tim Connolly over the years has definitely prioritized offense for this nuggets team i think that that's pretty clear based off of his drafting history that you you go through bones highland rj hampton zeke Naji, more of a defensive guy i'd probably say but uh, still still like a, a shooter and somebody that they prevent, projected to be an outside shooter for sure. Uh, you have Ball Bull, uh, somebody that they definitely didn't project as a defensive weapon, I would say. Right. Um, you have Michael Porter, though they did draft Jared Vanderbilt. We'll talk about him. <laughs> um, you have Tyler Lydon, Monte Morris, uh, Vlaco Chanchar, Malik Beasley, Wancho Hernan Gomez, Jamal Murray, like the, the list goes on and on of the players that Tim Connolly has drafted in the past. And it's mostly a, an offensive list guys that can gun guys that, uh, that work on their games as scorers and can do it from different positions. And you have that flexibility when you have Jokic and you can just kind of cobble together something around him. And Denver hasn't needed these elite defenders up until now, because they haven't had championship expectations up until now. Right. But there was a, a thought back at the draft in 2021 that, hey, maybe Denver should have drafted a, a defensive guy. And I'm not questioning whether this was the right pick because you and I talked about this before. This was definitely the right pick for Denver to make based off of where they are right now and what they needed and that Jamal Murray wasn't going to come back. Like that dude, like he, he is still out. And Denver has needed somebody to kind of reprise his role and Bones has done that. So I, yeah, it's there's definitely some... Uh, defensive envy that I have of some other prospects right. that were drafted, but I still think it's it's important for Nuggets fans to appreciate Bones Highland for sure. Well, my my thing with, with Conway, the one the one characteristic you didn't really mention was that most of them are babies. Yeah, um, he's been yeah. drafting the youngest players in the class, 18, 19, 20. Like, because Tim Connolly, just based on his drafting history, Believes in upside. He believes in identifying skills that can be NBA level skills for offense and maxing them out. Um, and so he's taking 19 year old players that he believes can max out their skill set, um, and and making sure that he gets the opportunity to let them do that. The problem is when you only draft those players, when you only add those players. Um, adding Bose Highland is great. But with the healthy Jamal Murray, you probably don't need both Bones Highland and Will Barton. Like they have duplicating skill sets. Those guys are trying to do the same thing on the court. 
I mean, one is even, you know, mentored by the other, like growing up. So it's not literally you picked little baby Barton to go ahead and, 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 you know, be on the roster with big Barton. Like that's just what happened. And that's not an issue unless you do not plan to replace Will Barton with the defender that you need. So the Nuggets are at that point in the roster, and we always knew this was coming, where especially now that you've had to trade some picks um, because you had the bad luck with uh, Jeremy Grant deciding not to stick around, it cost you an extra first rounder to you know move on and go get um, uh, Aaron Gordon instead. Like you lose picks when these mistakes happen. Because if if you would if he had just signed, then you would still have extra picks and you could go ahead and you know not have these problems. But now there is no pick next year. Yeah, you've you've got this year's pick. There's no pick next year. Um, you so then in the next two years you're getting one first rounder, and if you pick another offensive guy, you're gonna have to trade. Like you're gonna have yeah. to trade to get a defender <laughs> because you don't have any. And, and you can't keep using, like, I love Davon Reed. Um, you, you really shouldn't have to bet your entire um, <clears throat> playoff wing defense on whether a two-way player can stop Steph Curry. And, and but not to mention if he's, if he's even going to be converted into a contract, which actually but did it was, not happen anyway. But so. it was a huge deal that it didn't happen. We were watching for it. We were yeah. like, oh, my God, are you going to keep the defender that we need or are you not going to keep him? And it was it was a big deal in Twitterland because it actually matters. And I'm telling you that on a on a championship squad, maintaining a two way defender, you know, two way contract guys, a defender should not be a huge drama in April. That should not be. So the Nuggets have got to balance their roster. Um, they had this problem when they had Trey Lyles and they drafted Tyler Lydon in the exact same position with the same skill set as Lyles and then and those guys worked out and Hernan Gomez. And you have all of these forwards that you've added to do the exact same thing to your roster, you know, and right now you have a bunch of guards who are going to do exactly the same thing on your roster. And you can't, you can't do that. You're going to have to be able to mix a match. And so Denver's going to have to trade from a position of strength to upgrade a position of weakness. Um, and if they're only going to draft offensive players, because let's be honest, Tim Connolly is one of the greatest drafters of offensive players that has ever lived. Like just yeah. flat out. If you, you know, when you, when you are creating a championship caliber roster with no top five draft picks, like you're killing it when you're adding, you know, an, an MVP in the second round, um, a, a Murray will probably be an all-star shortly in his career. Once he's healthy um, bones, you know, is all, all rookie team again. And, you know, he's going to be, I assume he's going to be all rookie team at the end of the year. He made the uh, rising stars game. You know, he'll be in competition for six man of the year. You're drafting right. all these guys, like, you know, not in advantageous spots. So if that's his gift, great. Don't quit on your gift. Don't take a guy who's not as good. Keep taking great guys, but you're going to have to move some of them. And that's where the Nuggets have always been so loyal to everyone. And I appreciate it. I think it's wonderful. But at some point, you're going to have to be the bad guy with somebody to get the team to be the way the team needs to be. It's just how it's going to have to happen. Not to mention there have been players 
that Denver has sort of passed on that projected as good defenders that I think you, you definitely knew could have been good defenders and, and yeah. would have been helpful even in rounds like this, like, like for example, Ayo Desumu and Herb Jones, yeah. uh, Deuce McBride. I, th- I think you could throw in Quinton Grimes in there as well. Somebody who right. barely even played for the Knicks and, and should have played much more for that godforsaken franchise. Um, they, they absolutely had opportunities to, add some defenders and they went with bones and that was a good pick. And I am not saying that they shouldn't have drafted bones, but this is the choice that you make and you've got to continue making that choice. And unless you are able to build a top one offense and, and have all of your guys healthy and all of your guys going the same direction, then you're going to need some defense. You're going to need some guys that can step in. Here's my thing. The golden state warriors built the greatest offense the world has ever seen. They also had a great defense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, they, uh, you don't want to be the Phoenix Suns of the Steve Nash era with a two time MVP who can't get anywhere because y'all can't defend. Like, you don't need that. That's not going to work. So, Jokic is life. Jokic creates opportunities for everyone. And honestly, we don't know how much he's propping up some of these guys who keep having career efficiency years. Are they getting better or is Jokic just giving them the ball and they're wide freaking open and they're making open shots? Sure, sure. Like, yeah. Like, is that, is that the guys who've been added or could anybody do that? Because if anybody could do that, then for God's sake, get us some defenders who can then be whiffed offensively by Jokic, who can make them dunkers, who can feed them passes on the cut, you know, who can get to them in transition um, and get them easy buckets so that they can get scores and then not be complete, you know, offensive dead ends while they shut down other teams. The Nuggets have to find that balance. I don't think they're there yet. I think they know that. And I I don't advocate that um, Tim Connolly should, you know, draft a player who's not good enough to play just because he's a defender. But you're going to, if you're not going to draft defenders, and so far the only real defender they drafted was Gary Harris. Like right. that was the guy he came from a defensive school uh, and they've picked him as a three and D guy and injuries screwed that up. But you know, other than that, they haven't picked any of those guys. They've picked. I want to give them credit. The, yeah. They, they did draft Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, they, they traded did. Jared I love Vanderbilt. Vando. And, and, yeah, and moving problem. him in that deal that only netted them Zeke Naji was really bad in retrospect. Like they gave up Beasley, Wancho, and Jared Vanderbilt in a deal that netted them somebody who's not going to be in the playoff rotation this year. So yep. there, there's a lot to think about. And I do think that there have been mistakes made along the way. The front office will be the first to admit that they have made mistakes. And this is something that they're going to have to rectify. And they just don't have a lot of flexibility in order to do that. So they have to develop and like just dedicate real resources to solving this. It cannot be a half measure. It cannot right. be just re-signing Austin Rivers. Right. I don't even like we we've we floated some some trade possibilities in the past. Yep. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be a just a general veteran that you trade for. I think you need somebody that specializes in defense and stops. Right. And we're gonna we're gonna have to figure out what that is. Well and that's that's really their task, right? I mean you've done everything else. Like Connolly's built a perennial contender uh, with an MVP on it, you know, with a young offensive talent around him. 
you know, if you're talking about uh, Murray, uh, Bones, um, MPJ, let's assume they're all healthy. Uh, I mean, while, while we're wishing for things. Uh, MPJ, and you've got Aaron Gordon, as who's been terrific in the role that they picked him for offensively, where he's a willing three-point shooter so that you have to cover him. You don't just leave him open, even though he's not a great three-point shooter. But he'll also take you off the dribble. He'll also dunk. He's open for cuts. You know, they find him. He's been great in exactly what they wanted him to do. But you can't ask that guy to be your only defender. You've got all the offensive firepower. You're going to have to figure out how to add defense to this team. And it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you because you can't wait two years, three years for a guy you draft to be a good defender. You know, they're trying to train up Zeke Naji. It's going to be, you know, year three or year four on Zeke Naji before he becomes, before you truly know whether he's anything more than an average defender. You want, that's too long. You can't, uh, the next draft pick that you take in that same basic area that you drafted Zeke Naji, you know, the Nuggets are drafting like 2021 this year. Um, If, if they don't move up and if that's their pick and they don't give it up, like you're looking, you can't, you can't expect that guy to come in and be an all-world impact defender from the get. You can't. So you're going to have to get a defender because next year's for real. These injuries screwed you up. This year was supposed to be for real. But the injuries, you know, threw the year away in theory. Like, I mean, Jokic could still do amazing things, and we'll be talking about him for eternity and carve his face onto the mountains. You know, but it's if he doesn't do... Herculean godlike things in the playoffs to get them a title. You, you lost out this year because of injury. You can't lose any more years. You've got to get the roster to be coherent and you've got to find yourself some defenders. And like you said, Austin Rivers can't be the only one. Like he can't be your only help for Aaron Gordon to, to make these things work. And you can't keep relying on free guys, like two way players, um, minimum contracts, their, their flexibility is limited because of the three maxes. So they're going to need to make some hard calls. And it sucks, but that's where you're out of the franchise. You make the hard calls. And hopefully you don't trade for Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Hey, good call. Good call. That seems like a great idea. Um, tell you what, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to briefly discuss this Warriors and, and the playoff series that is upcoming for these Denver Nuggets. We will be right back. Final segment, pick action roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. Gordon, I don't know if you're paying attention to Twitter, but uh, apparently a lady just tried to glue themselves glue themselves to the floor of the Minnesota T-Wolves basketball game. I am not, but I will be now finding <laughs> out what in the hell is going on in Minnesota and what they put in the water. And it's very funny. Well, apparently, so they've, they've, they've called four fouls in the first half on Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, that that might have something to do with why she's protesting the game, apparently. Uh, but right, that is then. that is a thing that I never thought I would have to say on a podcast. A fan glued themselves to the floor. That is insane. Okay, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, just, just I, maybe they were just impressed with Vanderbilt. I'm impressed with Vanderbilt. Like I, I, I great glue it guy kills me to have moved him. Yeah. <laughs> 
I make myself laugh. Uh, okay, let's talk about the playoffs. Let's talk about the Warriors. Uh, the first thing that I think we have to briefly mention off the top, there was a report that came out today and updates on Steph Curry's injury status for the playoffs. And I just want to, I'm going to read this off and just uh, just read it in its entirety. This is the Stephen Curry injury update on April 12th. Warriors guard Stephen Curry, who missed the team's last 12 regular season games after suffering a sprained ligament and bone bruise in his left foot on March 16th against the Boston Celtics, continues to make good progress in his recovery process. He gradually started various individual on-court activities last week, shooting and running, and may return to full team practices at some point this week. His eventual return to game action and the possibility of playing this weekend is undetermined and will be based on his continued progress. Okay. Gordon, you are a writer. How much confidence did you get that Steph Curry is healthy from that statement? That was a very um, science point to maybe statement. Uh, That was, that was not a, he is expected to play. That was not a, he will probably play. That was a, Talk to me on Friday, and uh, we're going to hopefully have a better answer than we have right now, because my guess is from that that presser, if, if you asked right now, is he going to play 50% yes or no, like, and are we over under, he'd be under. Like, that's that yeah. would be less, less likely to play than not to play. And now, that's good for Denver, but yeah, yeah I, that, like, that's, that's interesting, interesting little release there. And, and the timing of it is very interesting because on one hand, I, I want to believe them when they say, hey, it's, it's, we don't know, it's possible that he couldn't play. But I also kind of read it as, hey, we don't know, it's possible he might not play. And, well, know. these are the games you play, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, this is, this is famous everywhere in, in uh, not getting people a chance. They make you have to do double scouting reports. I know probably cartwheel onto the floor. Right, and he'd be <laughs> yeah. like, "Ah, oh, great, everything's terrific." But well, it, it, well, what he's probably going to do is he's going to rip off the suit. He's going to tear off the suit, and he's going to be wearing his uniform underneath. And right. that'll that'll be how he riles up Chase Center for Game One, where he steps on the court with Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, and it's going to be so big. And the Nuggets are still trying to get back their main core, uh, which you could say the last time the Nuggets traveled to Golden State. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's and, and that's for like a playoff series. All by the, the way, games there, like give me give yeah. me all the games but the last one. We'll forfeit every game in the Chase Center except for the last one, and uh, just so we don't have to risk injury on your stupid floor that keeps hurting everybody. Yeah. So obviously, it goes without saying that every game that Steph Curry doesn't play is a must-win. You yep. have to take advantage. If if the opposing team doesn't have their megastar, everything that they've built their culture around, their team around, I am fearful of Clay Thompson. I am fearful of Jordan Poole. I am fearful of Draymond Green. I am terrified of Steph Curry. And I think the Nuggets should be approaching it much of the same way that, look, it's going to be tough no matter who plays for them because they have a very talented team. But if you don't have Stephen freaking Curry out there, then the Nuggets should probably try to win those basketball games. Yeah. If you're if you're if he misses even one game and the Nuggets don't win that game, I'll be very upset. I don't expect him to miss a game, but if he does miss a game, y'all better bring it like this is the game. Gear up for it. 
Um, we're going we're to find out, man. This is not a great matchup for Denver. Um, just because they're so good from deep, they stretch the floor out, and Denver just doesn't have those defenders. Like, you can't be putting Bryn Forbes on Clay Thompson. Like, that's just not a good plan. It's not going to work out. Yeah, um, that's just uh, – it's just not a great idea. And and Denver, they, they have these kind of one-way players is how I would describe them, that it's always going to be pretty difficult to, to find the right mix. You need two-way guys. You need capable players on both ends of the floor that are versatile, that can do a lot of different things. And I think there are only a couple of guys that really fit into that category. Jokic being one, maybe Aaron Gordon being another. And uh, that's, that's pretty much it for, for Denver at this point of, of guys that you trust on both ends of the floor. And even Gordon, like, do you trust him to shoot above 35% in a, in three pointers during the series? I don't. Right. Yeah. I, I, I don't either. It, it, that's, this is, this is one of those things where, you're going to need people to be hot from three. You're going to have to have in this series, Barton and Morris and, you know, especially bones. Like you've got to hit the open shots. They're going to be open. You got to hit them. Um, and Austin rivers too. Like this is those, these are those games. You have to find a way to make those buckets. Cause if you're just trading twos for threes, you're going to lose. Like if you don't have a, a long distance, you know, connection in this, in this series, Denver cannot be going eight for 30 from, you know, right. beyond the arc. It just, you can't do it. Um, and so, I mean, it, they don't have anyone who can really stuff Jokic. There's nobody, you know, what Wiseman and, and uh, Bielitsa, right? Like that's Kevin Looney. Kevon Looney. You, the, the, so they've got Kevon Looney, Looney who's starting. Right. They've got Draymond Green. They've got Bielitsa. Yeah, but Dray, but Draymond, Draymond, he can't slow Jokic down. Like we've already seen how a six foot seven guy can't do it. Like that's yeah. just how it is. It's, it's nothing against Draymond. He's one of the greatest defenders that's ever lived. But you you can't put him up against Jokic, and he knows that. So they they have to run scheme. The problem is you've given Ron Adams like a week. <clears throat> to just sit here and think about how he wants to stop Nikola Jokic and all of his non-help. Because um, the, the guy who put up the graphic that Jokic is like, you know, his on-off versus everybody else's or his contributions versus every other player, and every other player is a zero. Every other player nets to zero other than Jokic. He's yeah. literally the only person putting wins on the board, and it's unbelievable to me that they got through a whole season like that. Like, how did you pull that off? So this is the playoffs where they're going to try to take Jokic out. That's all you have to do, right? Like, if, if you don't believe that the Nuggets can shoot, then by any means necessary, you need to limit Jokic. Um, throw three guys at him, throw them in different rotations, throw them late, throw them early, change schemes. They're going to change schemes every quarter. Like, I guarantee you, Rod Adams is going to give them 30 different looks so that Jokic can never get comfortable in where the help is coming from. And they're just going to try to scheme Jokic into passivity um, because Jokic's twos don't match up with Steph's threes. And that's going to be, I would assume, uh, that that's going to be the game plan. And the Nuggets are going to have to overcome. They're going to have to make those open shots. They're going to have to move the ball. They're going to have to cut. They're going to have to be active for all 48 minutes because 
the Warriors are going to be. Right. Like that's their game is motion offense. They they've been built for this for a long time. And, and they practice that way. They play that way that when the game slows down in the playoffs, they speed up. They, they are playing at a pace that the nuggets probably aren't going to be able to match in all honesty. So they're going to have to capitalize on the opportunities that they do have. And I spoke about this with, I spoke about this with Jeff Morton on, on his show earlier today that Denver's got to get out and run. They've got to find ways to attack the Warriors and and when they're not in their set defense, yes. which means generating steals, defensive rebounds and running. They've, they've got to find opportunities to make it easy on themselves. I just don't know how many players Denver has on their roster that are capable of making things easy. Uh, it's just it's just a very small number. And uh, let's let's go through it right now. Of Denver's rotation players, yeah. How many of them do you trust defensively to execute the game plan against the Warriors? Aaron Gordon and Austin Rivers. Do you trust Nikola Jokic? I, it's not against Nikola Jokic. I feel like because there's not going to be anybody who can stop penetration, <clears throat> there's going to be a lot of ground for Jokic to cover between the rim and the three-point line on rotations, and I don't think he's going to be able to make it. He doesn't have the feet. That's not yeah. his fault. He's just he, the way that the Warriors attack you, the way that they cut you apart by moving the ball, by moving the people. Um, they're going to get Denver's guards out of position. And once they're out of position, Jokic has to cover for that. And I don't, I don't think he's going to be a negative, but it's going to be a real hard cover. Like you're asking yeah. him to do a lot, considering how much he does on offense. Asking him to do that much on defense is going to be rough. So my the fact that the guards have trouble staying in front of every, anybody is going to be a real big deal uh, for me. Uh, you can't stop point of attack, which means that people can pull your defense in and then kick out and then move the ball around the perimeter. And you don't have a way to slow down what Golden State wants to do. Uh, and do you, I, I'm curious about that. Do you trust Jeff or Jermichael Green? You know what? The greens are actually quite good, especially Jeff. Um, but they're going to be playing bench minutes. And and the problem with the bench minutes is that Denver's scheme does not involve Jeff Green or uh, Jermichael Green slowing down Jordan Poole. Like, that's not their gig. Jordan will not be going at them. The, the thing that the Nuggets are really going to have to do is own the glass. Like, they are going to have to... And, and the, with Jeff and Jermichael, you can do that. Um, Demarcus too. I don't know if you can do it, Jeff. You could again. I, I'd be I'd be very worried about Jeff Green in terms of a, as a rebounder. He just hasn't shown that this year. Yeah, but I, I'm looking at. I mean, the Golden State Warriors. The thing is, they're actually a like a really good like defensive rebounding team, but they're not a good offensive rebounding team at all. Um. So because they don't have the guys, they're shooting from deep. So right. when they miss, they don't have guys in position to get rebounds. So you a need to make the miss, but then you you cannot give them second chance points. The Nuggets because, like you said, that's also where the Nuggets can go on transition. You've got to get every defensive rebound you can possibly get, um, and that's what I'm curious to see what happens. That's a really good keystone moment, I think, because 
on on one hand, if Denver gets that defensive rebound, gives them a potential opportunity to go in transition, they get a stop, they get some momentum potentially. On the other end of the spectrum, if they give up an offensive rebound, the Warriors are as great as anybody in the league at the relocation three, the kickout three, one of the most backbreaking plays in the entire world. And I would be very curious to see how Denver handles that. And if they're slumping their shoulders, if they uh, just, just let it get into their heads that they've done all this work for 24 seconds, they give up an offensive rebound and a quick kick out three that takes like two seconds to, to from the, the time that the guy catches yeah. the ball to the time that he passes it out and then it's shot and then it goes in. So there are definitely some reasons to be concerned about that but if you're a good defensive rebounding team like denver is then maybe they can mitigate that that's probably their best chance in this series right and this is going to be weird because like golden state is technically a better rebounding defensive team than the than the nuggets are a rebounding defensive team and they're a better offensive rebounding team than the nuggets are an offensive rebounding team but it ain't by that much like that's that's where it gets it gets weird is the Nuggets have Nikola Jokic, who's one of the two best rebounders in the league. Like you're you're talking about a guy who he gets all of those, and as long as he's there to make plays, then that's okay. Um, and if his offensive rebounds are for points, he's doing tipbacks, then that's okay. You need your the Nuggets need their offensive rebounds to go for points and the defensive rebounds to create transition opportunities. If they can't do that, if the if the Golden State Warriors can slow them. It's going to be a really long day because set offense for the Nuggets, it tends to revolt in a two unless their guys are hot and they're not going to be hot for six games. I looked at last last night's pickaxe episode. I I looked at some of the rebounding totals, among other things, and Denver controlled the glass in the four games against the Warriors. And, And I have to imagine that there is some matchup issues for the Warriors in this one specifically because Jokic is such a load uh, on both ends of the floor from a rebounding perspective that, look, Kevon Looney might be able to match up with the majority of other centers and Draymond Green would probably be able to match up with the majority of other uh, bigs that he's kind of switched out on. But Jokic is just a different animal. So their, their game plan is going to be preventing Jokic from making an impact on the glass too. So I'm very curious to see who wins that battle. Um, there's there's a lot like Ron Adams. He he's going to be instilling that into yeah. everybody. He knows that Denver's only chance sometimes is when Jokic tips the ball to himself. So they're they're going to be scratching, clawing, and preventing him from doing all of those things, and hoping that they get away with it enough times to either a frustrate Jokic or b yep. just turn the tide of the game in general. Right, and it's uh, fouls are going to come into this. The who who the refs are is going to matter a lot, and I hate that. I've always hated that, but it's true. How these games are called is going to make a huge difference. If if Kevon Wooney gets into foul trouble early and he gets two fouls in four minutes against Jokic, that whole game is going to change. Like, that's going to make a huge difference. On the other hand, if he's getting away with hacking Jokic and nothing's happening, that makes a big difference. Like, this is one of those times where, where how the game is is refed will have a huge uh, influence on the outcome just because of where the shots are going to be taking place and how big rebounding is, how big those loose balls are going to be. Um, and we're going to find out. I have two more questions for you. First one is, uh, do you think that we see Jamal Murray back in this series? I still don't. Um, 
Like, I think it'd be fun, but I, I don't think that he wants to take away from what the Nuggets are doing. Uh, maybe in an elimination game, if it comes early, he would try to come back and help them out. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if he thinks he's ready to go, he might get off the bench on a 3-1 series, like, deficit. But if it's 2-2, he's not coming back in game five. Like, you know, and, and having a bad game, he's not going to put that on on other people to try to adjust to him on the fly against like a hall of famer, multiple hall of famers on the golden state warriors and some hall of fame coaches. Like the very first thing that you would do as Ron Adams, the second that Jamal Murray gets on the floor is you make Jordan Poole run at him 24 seven. You know, you are going to drive on that guy. You're going to see what his lateral movements like, like he's a, he is a weakness because he hasn't had to defend anybody in 370 days yeah <clears throat> like that's the thing you, you, you're dropping from no defense to like live game action against the greatest you know shooting guard that ever lived and and you're trying to figure out whether or not jamal murray you know can just start running when you throw him out of a car maybe but i, I don't think that that's um what he's going to want to do again unless the nuggets are looking at a prayer situation i don't expect to see him yeah, I mean, honestly, nothing would surprise me at this point. Like, if he came back and was back for game one, I'd be like, okay. Uh, if he came back and was back for game three, I'd be like, okay. If he doesn't play at all, I'd be like, okay. Uh, <laughs> it's it's up to him. It's, it's at this point where I think all of the verbiage that has come out, all of the reporting that has come out is that this is a mental hurdle, that it's it's clear that he's physically ready at this point. And it's just about him trusting that he's physically ready and that he's in the right mental headspace in order to get to that point. Right. Uh, I don't envy him at all. I, that's This is a really hard time in the recovery process. You know this it better than be. almost anybody that this is just the, the most dangerous period where if you're not ready to handle it mentally, then Murphy's Law is going to kick in. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong at that point if you are not mentally prepared if, so, if you don't if you don't trust your body the problem is um when simone biles in the in the olympics um she was she got a, a case of the twisties and was like i can't do it you don't trust your body your brain and your body aren't working together and they're such precise instruments that when your brain says do something and your body doesn't do it it freaks you out and you can get hurt same thing with jamal murray if if you if your brain is like you're good and your body is like i'm good but you don't believe that you're good. Uh, you can really hurt yourself landing wrong, not trusting your landing and, you know, rolling an ankle because you didn't believe that you could come down from that huge athletic endeavor. You just attempted it, it's, it's dangerous. It is dangerous um, to go into like full speed, full contact NBA playoff basketball from nothing. Um, could he do it? Sure. He could do it. Um, do I think he should do it? I think it's up to him like you do, but I, I, I don't have any expectations of it. And I don't think that him deciding not to do it at the last minute is any kind of weakness. If, if he decides not to go, dude, next year is the year that we need you. Like, for God's sake, don't for hurt sure. yourself this year. Like, get everything right, you know, and then we'll see how it goes. So if he comes back, bonus. If he doesn't come back, you haven't been here all year. Like this has been something that the Nuggets have had to deal with. They'll keep dealing with it. 
And, um, you know, Murray comes back when he can. Luckily, he's able to come back. He looks good. This is a good thing. He didn't have a setback in his recovery. These are amazing things because the Nuggets absolutely need him long-term title hopes. But this year is up to him. For what it's worth, I do not think that Michael Porter Jr. has been extended the same courtesy to come back if he feels good. No. They're, they're shutting him down uh, for the year, uh, and that's fine. They rushed him, and it didn't work. Um, I don't know whether it's that they rushed him or he rushed himself or whatever, but anytime you have a, a setback that they call is from overwork, overuse, somebody did their job wrong. You didn't prep for that right. Like, that's okay. It, it doesn't seem to be a setback in the surgery, which is great, um, but – you let his ass rest and recover correctly and get back to you in September, you know, uh, sit down, see how he's doing. I think they're going to put him on a minutes restriction and we're going to, we're going to see a different uh, approach to Michael Porter jr. And his max contract and, and what that's going to look like, but we'll, we'll see. We, and it's, I don't, it's well, not minutes, his fault. restrictions. This is, this is one of those things. Um, minutes restriction, possibly I would expect it to go more like, uh, when Embiid came back from his foot surgery and they were not putting him in back-to-backs, he wasn't playing, you know, in back-to-backs, he wasn't playing a certain amount of minutes a week. Like that's the thing that you do for, for Porter is you, right. you know, you unleash him on a Friday night. And if you have a Saturday afternoon game, that guy is not freaking playing and that's okay. You have enough guys. I mean, you built a championship squad, right? Like you're not thin, right? So you're fine. Like you can go ahead and win Saturday afternoon without him, but you took on Friday with him and hopefully got the dub and you call it a day. Um, and you make sure he can fight for the playoffs. You need him healthy in April. You don't need him healthy in December. Load management for that big boy. He's gotta, he's gotta be willing to do it. And well, but I they, like... they won't manage. You have to remind yourself of, uh, they need to load manage Jokic too, man. Like this is another one of those things where, the, the when you get Jamal back, you're going to have to have games where Jokic takes either the night off or doesn't do much so he can rest his ass up because you can't have him carrying 33% usage, getting beat up by triple teams for 82 games a year and then be like, carry me in the playoffs, big boy, and then do it again next year with no rest and no time off, guy. Like, you're going to have to figure this out. It's which is what the uh, Spurs ran into. Where they were load managing, you know, um, Tim Duncan and uh, Manu and Tony Parker, and the league hated them for it. And the Spurs didn't care because they won anyway. Like, that's what you're going for. You don't, again, if there's a game you're going to throw, you throw it because you need to make sure that your guys are healthy and ready to go in the playoffs. All three of your stars, all three of your multi million dollar max contract guys have got to be ready in April to put the hammer down and kill. And uh, we've had too many years where we can't do that. And we're done like that. The nuggets are going to have to load manage and that's going to be on Malone to be willing to lose the battle to win the war. And he's never been willing to do that. That's not just an MPJ situation. That is going to be a Tim Connolly to Malone situation where Malone is going to have to bite his ego and be willing to um, put his team in a less advantageous position today to have a more advantageous position tomorrow. 
Got to do it. It's it's, it's got to happen for everybody. It's got to be a culture change for Je- for Denver yep. in general. So we'll just have to see whether they can get to that point. So last thing for you, early prediction on the series, uh, who wins how many games? Golden State in six. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. And it's <laughs> it's it's too bad. Like, that's... I, I, dude, Jokic could absolutely win it. What sucks is if Jokic comes out and they literally have no answer. This is why game one is so intriguing to me. Because Rod Adams is going to throw the kitchen sink at Jokic. He is going to, like, try to baffle, confuse, eradicate, frustrate, get him into foul trouble, get him yelling at refs, you know, whatever. Rod Adams, it's going to be the Rod Adams versus Nikola Jokic show, which I think is amazing because Rod Adams is one of the great defensive coaches to ever live. Um, and he his task is... There's exactly one person on this team who can beat us. Make that not happen. And if Ron can't make it happen, no one can make it not happen. So I'm fascinated oh. to see what happens in game one, because if the, if the Nuggets win game one, now it's a real series. And now I'm fascinated to see how it goes. If Denver wins the series, why did they win? Uh, they won because everybody else who couldn't beat Golden State beat Golden State. If they win, it's because yeah. Bones and Barton and AG and Austin Rivers and Monte, they balled out. Like, that's that's how you win, is that your guys all hit open threes. They made their dunks. They did their defensive rotations. They, you know, gave 100% effort for every minute on the court. Like, you guys earned it. The team effort. Jokic, they can go, they'll go down if Jokic um, is the only one in the fight. Because I, I just don't think that Jokic can take Golden State by himself. Um, but if everybody does what they can do, then that's how Denver wins. It's a, it's a team effort to win, absolutely. We're going to have to see how it goes. I am looking forward to finding out this answer just as much as everybody else is. This is going to be a very fascinating time for Denver. And I think a lot of people are just assuming that the Nuggets are going to roll over and die. I think there no. are a lot of Nuggets analysts that's I think are, are pretty pessimistic on this, me included, that think, hey, look, this is probably not going to go well for the Denver Nuggets. If it does, and if they if they figure it out, and if they advance beyond the first round, and Philly loses to Toronto, and Brooklyn drops it to Boston, then there's going to be so much chatter online, and it's going to be glorious. I will laugh. Like I said, I, I would I pick them in a, in Vegas to win with real money on it? You know, if you gave me a thousand bucks and it was win or lose, I don't think the Nuggets take it. Do I think the Nuggets can take it? <laughs> Hell yeah. They have the MVP. Of course they can take it. But we're going to see what happens. Gordon, thank you so much for hopping on with me. Uh, Gordon does excellent work. He did a really nice Jokic analytics article and just kind of the relationship between Jokic and the concept of analytics and why they aren't necessarily uh, one and one. Uh, one-to-one, like Jokic does not represent analytics. He is much more to the city of Denver than just that. Uh, He does a great, fantastic job. Make sure to read him whenever whenever he comes out with some gem like that. Uh, And everybody else over at Denver Stiffs, make sure to go read our work. We've got some good preview content going on right now. And there's just a lot of stuff that should be uh, really exciting. So there's actually one more thing that I want to, that I want to talk about. We're going to do a Stiffs Night Out. We're going to do a Stiffs Night Out on Saturday night 
at Blake Street Tavern. And as for game one, there should be a lot of people there. I can expect that there's going to be a lot of fans just absolutely going crazy for game one. You want to see Jokic. You want to see Bones. You want to see him get into and, and whether Denver can steal that game, whether Steph is currying, or Steph is currying or not. Uh, that's that's just what we're going to say. Uh, head over to Blake Street Tavern. Let's see what they can do, and let's let's drink a beer together. And I'll I'll drink my my hard seltzer or whatever I decide to drink because I don't like beer. But if you want to buy me drinks because I got the two thousand one thousand five hundred stat, then that is also fine with me. Thank you, everybody for hopping on with us for this episode of Big Axe and Roll. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn. He is Gordon Gross. Make sure to follow him at GMoneyNugs on Twitter. We will talk to you guys tomorrow.